Hey guys, it's Ryan. I uh, just wanted to come in at the top of the episode here and say, this is the episode zero you thought you'd never hear, but also not. Um, it's just a tribute. This isn't the greatest episode zero you've ever heard. It's just a tribute. Um, we decided that it would make more sense for us to give a little bit of backstory as, as to our characters and decided to kind of re-pilot episode zero, if that makes sense. Uh, the whole gang's here, which is weird for me, um, but we're ready to get started, and uh, we'll introduce ourselves, so who wants to go next? I mean, I guess I can go. Hey, everybody. My name is Lucas. Uh, I will be playing Jedediah Moonstone, but if you listen to episode zero first, you don't know who that is yet. <laughs> you will soon, though. Hey, I'm JFK. I'm going to be playing Trigo Fatteria. Quick little side note about him is that he's a rich farmhand from Moss Deep. Hello, my name is Jack. I am the dungeon master slash uh, storyteller of this, and uh, this is, as Ryan has said, uh, the precursor to everything that has inspired uh, this story to date, uh, with little nods to lore, little nods to um, changes we made to this uh, Hoenn region, and other odds and ends that people might find interesting. Our story is going to begin with Jedi Moonstone. You're opening to a man walking into a factory. Gears turn and cogs spin. A young man straddles a box that's been painted on the ground before him with the initial JD stamped into the side and a number to the right side. And with that, we will give it to Jedi to tell the rest of his tale. It's a pretty normal, average day. I walk into work, I get set up at my station, warm up the machine, and start off my day. About an hour later, the foreman comes down, tells me that the big boss wants to see me. I think that that's a little odd, but far from my first time talking to the corporate overlord. After all, he's not sure if I'm still with the union or not. So he likes to tell me a lot how much he appreciates me, and how much I mean to the company. Well, I go up, I get in there, immediately I realize it's the other option. His demeanor is cold. He lost all semblance of his fake peppiness. He starts into some speech that I really don't care to pay attention to. It all just means that I'm fired. Makes sense, though. The drought keeps getting worse. That means there's just another batch of desperate, broke, former farmers that don't know how much their labor's worth. I feel sorry for the new guys, but at that moment, I'm sitting there feeling more sorry for myself. I open my mouth, out to ask about uh, getting paid for my last day, and I see the security officer drift into my vision think better of it. After all, I wouldn't be the first person to uh, eat that Nido King he keeps on his belt. So I just sit through the rest of the boss's prepared speech about who knows, get up, walk out without saying anything, go back to my station, I grab my jacket, my lunch, and Teddy's Pokeball. Step outside, release Teddy like any other day, looks at me and rubs some sleep out of his eyes. Always looks a little funny when he does that. He does it so 
so very gingerly, next to that scar on the side of his right eye. Once he's finished, Teddy looks up at me a little confused. He knows what lunchtime is. He knows it's too early today. I look down at Teddy, give him a little Mareepish shrug. He, he can see that I'm a little worried, and so he hugs my leg. We walk along to our normal lunch spot, sit on our bench. Teddy really munches down his sandwich like always, but I end up tossing probably half of it to the Pidgey nearby. Not that hungry. Too worried about having to go home, tell my mom what happened. My mom, she's great. She cares, really. But she just doesn't get it. I'll tell her what happened, and she'll be so very sorry to hear it. But I just know that I'll hear that tone in her voice. The tone that says, Why did they fire you? What did you do? Did you steal something? Like your father? Or are you just lazy? Like that bad crowd of union boys you hang out with. Take a deep, long sigh lost in thought, until the flock of Pidgey flies off, startled by someone walking through their feeding ground. Look up, and I drop the rest of my sandwich. I, I can't be seeing this. It, it's him. That's, that's the man who came to our farm all those years ago. Suddenly, I'm ten years old again. I'm playing in the yard with our hound door, and a man in a clean and pressed pinstripe suit holding a bulky suitcase walks up, asks to speak to my dad. Our hound door gets unusually hostile. I hold him back as I point this man toward our front door. The next thing I know, my dad, my hero, is crying while trying to explain to my mom and me that we we have to move. We, we can't live here anymore. That man. This man. The man who set off the course of events. That so, so drastically changed and destroyed the life I was meant for. Is now walking right past me. Oblivious to my existence. Oblivious to the life he destroyed. I don't know what possessed me at that moment. I got up and I followed him. I walked across the square with Teddy tugging at my pant leg. We walked halfway across town like that. A man strutting with a purpose. Me following him in a daze. And Teddy trying to wake me up. A man stopped in front of a bank, and I stopped too, about 25 feet away or so. I just kept watching him, in awe. It was almost like I was hypnotized. After about a minute, another man in a pinstripe suit came up, started talking to him. After a short conversation, the new man handed a bulky suitcase to the man that ruined my life. I, I snapped out of my days when, when he came up to me. I have to ask him to repeat himself. What, what did you say? 
He says that my Teddy Ursa is very cute. It's a shame that he's got that scar. He quickly adds that he knows someone who could take care of that for me. I step in front of Teddy a bit, say that I'm happy with him just the way he is. The man frowns at me before saying, That's too bad. Well, if you'll excuse me, I've got to catch the next train to Marville. Walking off. I just stand there. I stare in disbelief. I'm not sure what really just happened. All of a sudden, I get filled with such a wave of anger. I know, for a fact, this man has to be on his way to hurt someone else. Destroy another family like he did to mine. In that moment, I made up my mind. I was going to buy a ticket to stop this man and whatever he was going to do next. With this newfound purpose, I, I walked to the station, found out the next train wasn't until tomorrow afternoon. With that in mind, went home, determined to take all the money I saved up, use it to buy my first class ticket so I could find this man again and stop him. So I did it. I went home, told mom I lost my job, but it would be okay. I found a new opportunity. When she comforted me, there was less condescension in it. I made it through an awkward dinner, pulled all of my money, realized I was still just a little bit short for the ticket. I went to bed pissed, but still determined. If I woke up, I would figure something out. Next day, I did just that. On my way to the train station, I walked past the bank, saw someone who looked really rich coming out. He was all decked out. A top hat, old pocket watch chain, even a monocle. All nine yards. I ran into him, and we both went down. When we got back up, he berated me, said some unkind things about my parents. But he didn't realize I lifted his coin purse. When I got to the ticket window, though, my determination faltered a little bit. I had a lot about what all could go wrong. And there was a lot. But then my thoughts turned back to what I was doing and why I was doing it. There was so much pain and hurt and injustice in this world. I wanted to change things. Yes, I was wishing that I could change what happened to me. I wanted to change it for other people before it happened to them. I wanted to stop this man from hurting another family like he hurt mine. Even though we were just minding our business, trying to survive. I wanted to stop the cops from beating a man almost to death. Just because he stole something to feed his family. I wanted to stop companies from bringing in the army to kill strikers. Just because they wanted the workplace to be a little safer. Mostly, I wanted to stop just wanting these things. Start making them happen. So I stepped up to the ticket window. Bought one seat. First class. 
walked up to that platform, I saw the man who set me and my life on this course. I walked into that same car as him. As Jedediah's mind begins to quiet, we find ourselves at a Rustboro train station. A large canopy has shaded Jedediah as he waited, and a train puffs into the station. Dollies of luggage are being pulled from platform to platform as crowds of people shuffle back and forth for their arrivals. As the train grinds to a halt and Jedediah stands to board, a man with a triply hat with a small, hidden red insignia walks to the corner of the station to join the men loitering out of view. Further past them stands Frederick with a grim figure standing next to him. This grim figure turns and looks at Frederick and says, $20 per passenger, with a briefcase from the Aquarius contractor carrying thousands. Now this gets me out of this region, correct? It'll suffice. Now you do well, Mr. LaCroix, not to mess with a man who has nothing to lose. Bid you farewell and good luck. Then he fades into the dark. All right, gentlemen, you heard Mr. LaCroix. $20 from each passenger and the case in the bank, man. Now that's a nice score split evenly between however, how many of us are there? Sorry, shit. Uh, Five of us. Johnny's in the bathroom. Two, there's two of us two currently. Two plus Johnny in the bathroom. Okay. All right. I, I gotta ask, Frederick, is this legit? Oh, it's legit. Trust me. And he, Frederick takes out of his pocket and he hands him a $20 bill that Mr. LaCroix had provided as funds for the robbery. Interesting. We gotta... We got a nice plot of land stretched out for us. Once we get there, we can start rebuilding. Lord knows a mansion have to struggle for land. Look, boys, I know it's been a long road to hoe since the last, since the end of the war, but this can really set us on the right track here. I believe that with this money, we can start a new magma federation, somewhere where people don't have to pay an arm and a leg for land. Are you with me? The two, uh, the two goons put their hands in, and they both say, "Land for the people." Uh, for the union. As this chant proceeds, a man emerges from the bathroom and says, "Looks like it's looks like I missed the party. Is it time to go?" Oh, it's time to party, all right, Johnny. Let's get on that train. As they shuffle onto the train, Johnny and. Frederick take the front cabin, and the other two goons merge, uh, walk their way to the back cabin. Jediah does not notice these men entering the train. He is mixed in a sea of people, all hustling, bustling to some destiny. As Jediah takes his seat, he notices that there is a larger man sitting next to him, and I will allow Trigo to introduce himself. This all starts a couple weeks before... I get on the train. My family, the Fattery family, are in Fortree City opening up the new Fortree City gym, the first of its kind in the area. My family has sponsored many gyms in an attempt to make Hoenn a place to come for battling and hopefully set up an Elite Four. Now, usually when we sponsor a gym and break ground, we have a lot of Sandshrews, Gravelers, Onyxes, Machokes, there the past few weeks have been no exception. However, I notice we have a lot more than normal. 
so the opening ceremony is going on. My dad's up there making a speech. And god damn is it a great speech. He's the head of the family. He's the face of the family. He really knows how to put on. So it all goes off without a hitch. And of course we go drink to celebrate. A couple days go by. We're still there. I go in to get breakfast one day. And the shop owner looks at me. We aren't serving any fat tarias today. And I just kind of look at her like, why, what happened? And she just looks at me and says, tell your family to get their onyx and Sancher out of here. They should not be going around this, this lush jungle any more than they should. So I just kind of shake my head, walk out. And honestly, I just go fetch some berries that are growing because we are... Fortree City is still pretty much the jungle. There are f plentiful fruit that I can munch on while I walk around. As I'm walking around, a gang comes up to me, trying to harass me about my family. I still have no idea what's going on. Thankfully, right as the gang starts pressuring me about my family, Mio comes up. Mio is the machop that my family rescued right after birth and me and him have been pretty much inseparable since and i look you know i thank mio after he scares off the goons because honestly this is wearing on me i don't know what's going on this always happens anytime my family's out in a city somewhere i don't really understand it so i bid farewell because i know i need to go clear my head so i start making my way towards meteor falls well, on the way to Meteor Falls, I've, I stop at Fall Arbor Town, one of my favorite stops. I go into one of my normal lunch spots in Fall Arbor Town. They won't serve me either. The owner of the shop keeps telling me here's what's going on in Fortree City after the opening of the gym and does not feel comfortable serving me. So, again, I just kind of defeated, walk out. I throw Abra out of her Pokeball and just kind of walk with her. Abra has always been extremely calming for me. My family has always had an Abra or its evolutions um, in our household. It's tradition. So I start making my way over to Meteor Falls and I stop in this little town on Route 114 at, at a clothing stop. And at this point, I decide I need to change. Something is going on. I am tired of people harassing me for my family name. I'm tired of people either asking for monetary handouts. I'm just tired of wishy-washy people. I want to make my own name. So I walk in and I buy an all-black cowboy outfit. Cowboy hat, boots, pants, bandolier, whole nine yards. So I make my way to Meteor Falls. Abra and I just kind of sit there and meditate. And I'm starting to feel like myself again. Slowly but surely, I make my way to Rustboro City, where I decide I'm going to catch a train and go back to Mauville, where my family has a cottage. I walk up, not really paying attention, buy a first-class ticket, go in, find my seat, sit down, get some food because I haven't eaten in a while. And as I, after I'm done eating, after I have a drink, maybe two if I'm being honest with you, I look up and I see, honestly, I see a young kid coming towards me. 
looks kind of dejected, looks like he's had a rough few days, but I just kind of let him go, and he ends up sitting down next to me. Trigo's inner monologue is interrupted immediately once Jedi sits down across from him. What's the long face for, son? You're in first class. What the fuck do you have to be worrying about? One, I think I'm as old, if not older than you. So don't call me son. I got stuff going that you wouldn't have any idea about. So, don't feel like talking about it with you either. Hey, that's fine with me. However, if you're if you're going to think about taking it out on me, don't even fucking think about it. Whatever, man. You got any cards? Uh, let me let me check the bag here. Shit, looks looks like I do have a deck. Wanna play? Sure, I'll play. Canto Hold'em. Standard rules. It's fine by me. Want a drink? Looks like you could use one. You're buying. I'll buy. What All do you right. want? Whiskey neat. My man. And then I order two whiskey neats. I guess a little tiny cart with a man asking for tickets starts to begin going through as you hear a small jingle. He reaches down into a bottom shelf bottle and then he starts to take it up. And then as he uncorks it, you feel your you sense a foul odor coming from it. Trigo shivers at the thought of this. But alcohol is alcohol. He sets it down from you and asks for your tickets. I show him my ticket. He takes a little hole punch and he punches a very nifty looking star shaped into it. I naturally hold it up to my eye and look through it. As one does. Jediah, he looks at you and says, tickets please. Jediah reaches down to his bag and tries to fumble through it without looking and find his ticket. I. Uh, so he just kind of like rolls his eyes. He's like, ah, yes, he definitely has it. And he waits for you to pull it out as you're rifling through your belongings. I eventually find the piece of paper and drag it out and hand it to him. Takes your ticket. And as he takes it in his hands, he starts clicking in. And instead of a star, it makes a very strange moon crescent shape. And then as he passes back and goes away, you start to see or notice at least that he's got like kind of a strange... Not a, like a pep in his step, but an odd kind of like little sway to his motions. I look at the person sitting next to me and I stare down at this ticket. Why did we get two different shapes punched in there? I've never seen that before. I don't know. It's uh, kind of weird. I got a moon, I feel like. It is weird. And I hand him his whiskey neat. Thank you, partner. I think I just start dealing out a hand of cards for us. Meanwhile, I am barely touching the whiskey. I'm not even looking at it at this point. You know, I All think right. I'll raise. I think I'm going to raise the 50. Jedediah looks at his cards, uh, realizes with what's on the table, he has only three of a kind. I'll call, I guess. All right, I'm going to bump it up another 25 then. And I smirk at you. What is your constitution, or not constitution, sorry, your charisma? Uh, I know I have a plus one to it, so I think it's a, a 12. Interesting. Do you mind rolling for me? Because this would actually be kind of interesting. Natural one. <laughs> you you have a you have a left foot, a two of clubs, and a three of diamonds. 
I award you no points. Damn it. <laughs> All right. But, however, as these two are playing cards, we shift back a car and we find Johnny and Frederick kind of starting to psych themselves into what they're about to accomplish. All right, Johnny, we're going to get in there. I'll take out the engineer and then you stop this train far enough out of town that I don't think any of the lawmen will get here before we can finish what we got to do. You ready? I, I think so. I just still don't know why you need me. I mean, it's just a train. Levers are levers. I don't know how to work trains. And he grabs Johnny and he says, look, Magma Federation made you an engineer for a reason. I need you to stop this train brother to brother. Do you understand me? I guess I do, Frederick, but I'm just afraid that it's not going to actually go the way we need it to. But you know what? You're, you're the mouse. I, I can, I'll try to my best here. Here's for the Union boys. And I pat Cyndaquil, and I kind of squat down to his level. So, you ready? So Cyndaquil rubs his eyes, almost as if he's trying to knock some dust, knock some sleep out, and gives himself a quick little puff of fire to uh, ignite the spark in him, so to speak, to get himself psyched up and ready. That's my boy. And Frederick kicks in the door to the engineer car. Don't shoot! We're unarmed! As a, as, as a small man with nothing but very small glasses, suspenders, and a white shirt, holds up his hands with a shovel down on the ground next to him. He doesn't look at the shovel, he just is holding his hands up. Frederick draws his gun and points it at the old man, and... He takes the old, he leads the old man to the space between cars, between the engineer car and the coal car. With Frederick still standing in the engineer car, motions for the conductor to jump. All right. As you motion, the conductor looks down, gulps, and jumps. Uh, the, the conductor rolled a natural one on a charisma, on a uh, charisma, on an acrobatics check. Oh. Um, so as you hear him jump, you, you're surprised you can hear this out with the roar of a, you know, a locomotive, but you hear a distinct crunch of a fever that is unfortunately all too familiar with you. Um, Frederick turns back to Johnny, and he and he says, "Johnny, stop this train." Johnny turns around and says land for the people and as he turns around he starts to spin a bunch of levers and pull or sorry pull a bunch of levers spin a bunch of dials um and as he does it you hear the train start to groan and creak and eventually you notice that you hear this uh have this slight lunge forward as the train kind of wobbles and kind of halts all of a sudden after a lot of a cacophony of creaking and groaning and halting the train stops as the train comes to a stop frederick motions for him and johnny to step off of the train for a brief moment and johnny. as oh go ahead sorry oh i was about to say johnny uh johnny does the magma federation salute and follows you which of course is taking your two hands perpendicular to each other claps clancing them together and then holding them out like a gorilla. Okay. Um, Frederick turns to Johnny as he looks at the whole train and he says, good work, Johnny. How long have you been with the Magma Federation? Well, sir, I think it's been about mm, seven years. To flavor this, 
Frederick has been kind of playing with his gun in his hand as they've been getting off the train. And he turns around to Johnny and says, well, thank you for your service. And he shoots Johnny in the head. Johnny uh, crumbles to the ground uh, in a pile. There's a small look of shock on his face. Uh, but as you look closer, his eyes start to grow dim. Frederick kneels down, takes the patch off of the Magma Federation jacket that he has kind of hidden away under his clothes as to not be noticed, uh, and puts it on his inner pocket of uh, his Magma Federation jacket that he now has disrobed his like outer duster and is fully wearing. Um, he proceeds to work as... Oh, sorry. This is this is Jack talking. Are you like Killmonger, where underneath this coat is like fifty thousand insignias? No, underneath his coat is like he's wearing like a duster, but underneath he has his Magma Federation like jacket that he wears. Um, gotcha. And he just rips like presumably every member of the Magma Federation keeps their jacket because it's one of the only things that we had that had our symbol on them. So in killing Johnny, he has taken his patch off of his jacket and put it in his inner inside breast pocket. Ooh, you said you reached into his. You said you reached into his inner pocket to rip the insignia off. Can you roll a perception check for me, real quick, uh, just off sure. a generator? Uh, I rolled a fifteen. Oh, with a fifteen, you notice that there is a small letter inside of his breast, po- uh, his chest pocket, his inner chest pocket. Uh. Frederick looks at the train, looks at the letter, and he goes, I got time. And he flips open the letter. The letter is from Mrs. Johnny. And she wrote, Mrs. Johnny. (laughs) Dear Johnny, I hope you are doing well. I truly hope you find your dream. A dream where we have our own farm. A dream upstate. I know the Federation is not the brightest or the most popular, but... I do believe in their cause, and I believe that there will be a day where there's enough land for all. Stay safe. Frederick takes the letter and he holds it over the flame of Syndicol's back. So it I was hoping you do this. And he just goes, what a load of hooey. And he starts walking towards the passenger first class car. Excellent. Excellent. I was hoping this would happen. Okay. I, I, hey. Buddy, I'm picking up your flavor, boy. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what we're talking here. As Frederick begins to walk, before even a gunshot is heard, Jedi and Trigo are sitting in first class and hear a mixture of concern, of cries, of worry, and all of a sudden, the door behind them bursts open and two goons step out wearing large gray dusters. Um each having a red bandana over their face. And they have weapons drawn, and they're shouting, all the money, all the money in the bag now. There's a woman next, there's a woman that is right next to them, and a Magma Federation goon grabs the pearls and rips them off and stuffs them in the bag, and he begins to walk forward. Um, You have, I'm going to say, two turns, or no, a turn until they reach you. So you have a single turn before these two goons reach you. What do you do? We want to do this just like whoever wants to, or should me and John roll initiative or something? Not yet. We're, we're, we're hold. Uh, we we got this. We're, we're not in combat yet, but uh, they don't because they don't know that you're armed. They think that you're a snooty rich rich person. 
And to be fair, they're fifty percent correct. I stand up and I stand up while grabbing my revolver from my bag and shoot one of them. Alright, and now we roll initiative. That is a 14 for me. <laughs> they rolled a 13 and an 8. I got a whole so, 3. Alright, so we have Trigo going last, Goon number 1, I'm going to just call Goon 1, Goon 2 going after, and then, but they will go right after Jedi. So Jedi pulls his gun and you fire into the left one or the right one. Uh... I would say the left one, because I imagine, based on my interpretation of the car, he's the one who, even though it's by, like, two feet, I imagine he's the closer one to me. Sure, sure, sure. So, you shoot revolver. We said a revolver is about, what, ten, uh, D4 or a D6? I thought it was D6. Yes, D6. because the shotgun was a D10. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, roll to beat as AC first. Alright, just plain attack roll plus maybe my dex as yes. a hit bonus. Yes, yes. That's a six. So, as you stand up, you try to quick draw. You shoot the top rack where some of the luggage is and you hear a loud ping. All of a sudden, the two track their eyes to you, the man that is now standing up. The first goon is going to take his revolver that he was using to mug, the lady with the pearls, Fire at you. Does a three beat your AC? No, it does not. So as he goes to pull, he shoots the glass window next to you, which shatters, which causes an eruption of a cry and a scream from women who are now panicking nearby. And the second goon will take his turn to run up to get closer to you. So that means it is Trico's turn. I stand up, and with my newfound want to be a badass after what all just happened to me, I turn and I shoot as well. I take out my revolver. Now, the first goon is 20 feet away from you. The second goon is in your face, because he used this time to get up close. I'm going to shoot him. The, the quick close goon? one. Okay. Yeah. Roll with advantage, since he is point blank. Oh, no. The first one was a nat twenty. That 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 does it. Roll roll your critical hit. <laughs> so D six. So is that two D six? How are we doing criticals? Let's establish that in episode zero. Ah uh, yes, JFK. I believe you had the uh, method for this. Well, I definitely had a method for Pokemon battles, which the critical hit for when you know it's two Pokemon would be your max damage. So like, let's say, you know, Abra's Confusion is a D6 plus 2. You would automatically get that D6 plus 2 and then roll a D6. Now, since this is normal D&D combat, you know, since it's human on human, I was just going to do two rolls of a D6. Okay. And the first one was a 3. Second one's a 4. Yeah, he's, uh, he's not doing well. He has a hole in his stomach. That tends to be a bad thing for most people. And you kind of hear as he kind of like stumbles back, oddly enough, into the lap of two other people. Uh, and the two other people are very frightened elderly women who start to scream and one passes out next to them. Unfortunately, they are not going to be doing much. However, that brings us back to Jedi's turn. I pull back the hammer and fire again at the first man. 
Roll me a d20. That is 18 plus 3 to hit. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's definitely going to hit. Roll me damage. Just on a d6. Just on d6. Two. The <laughs> goon that was just shot by a Jedi is going to grab a elderly woman that was sitting this whole train apparently for some reason has a lot of elderly women. Don't know why. That's my bad. But this goon is going to grab a hostage and he's going to roll to grapple someone. And then he is going to grab a frail woman and shield himself with her and he's going to walk five feet ahead. So he is 15 feet. He's holding his attack. Well, I guess that was his action. His action was to get close. So we have... And then we have the second goon who got gut-shotted. He's going to take his turn to get up. And then, as a bonus action... Let's see. Hmm. So the wounded goon who fell over that got critted is going to stand up. And he is going to cock his fist and gut-shot Trigo. Alright, Trigo, would you like to explain how you block this? So I'm just standing there as he's getting ready to hit me, and I'm in shock, because I didn't expect this to happen. I've never been in a fight before, let alone shot somebody. And I'm just standing there all confused. He winds up, punches, right in my belt buckle, which is underneath like my shirt and poncho. It is just solid, precious metals. And it fucking hurts. As he punches, you hear knuckles crack, you hear bones like kind of snap like twigs, and he recoils in pain, taking a single damage. And then that brings us back to Trigo's turn. I definitely look at this guy, and I'm like, oh, you weren't fucking ready for that, were you? And I go to shoot him again. Roll me a d20. Three. You shoot and miss to the side of his head. However, the <laughs> the... The ladies are now standing up and fleeing behind or going towards the conductor cabin because they are now terrified and he is wide open. He is also in a lot of pain. Uh, Jedi, you are up. I will also mention, since you are standing, you are fully exposed. Me? I'm fully exposed? Because uh, I assume you said you stood up and pulled your gun to shoot, so you are standing straight up and you shot. Yeah, definitely. Right, so I guess I have a question of perception. You said that the guy is holding a hostage. Yes, correct. Who is the hostage? What What do they look like? What's going on with that? <laughs> is he holding the gun towards me or towards them? He's holding the uh, gun towards you. However, and uh thought I would ask you to roll some perception real quick okay. with advantage. Alrighty. So I only rolled a 7. Hmm, with a 7. You notice that the hostage is a man with kind of a pinstripe suit. But you can't tell if it's your pinstripe suit man or not. You said I see a pinstripe suit. Yes. And in that moment, I just remember everything that I felt yesterday and earlier today getting on the train... And I don't care about anything right now. I pull back the hammer and take a third shot. I don't even know whether I'm aiming for the goon or the man in front of him or if I'm trying to hit both or what. I just 
want to shoot. Roll me a d20 and add... F- I was going to give you disadvantage because he had a hostage, but since you are literally just aiming for now a mass of people, roll it with advantage. Okay, so advantage on my attack. Because, because you are literally aiming towards two people, it is a lot harder for you to miss if you are not giving a shit about who you're hitting. Fair. The first roll was a nat 20. You have two options, and since you rolled a d20, uh, sorry, since you rolled a nat 20, it is all yours. So I will give you a choice. You can either crit both of them, or you can roll a d10 and pinpoint it so you only hit the one. I feel like, because of what I said about not caring who I hit, I have to crit both of them. Alright then, please roll your 2d6. And is this 2d6 that just gets applied to each person? Yes. Okay, so I'm not separately rolling 2d6 for... It is It is for one him. person, through him, to the other. Yes. Right. <laughs> That's a 4 plus 6. The first grunt has an irk and stumbles back and falls to the ground. The first man that you shot has a white in it, uh, has his eyes go white, and he falls into his seat. And that brings us to goo number two, who is again, after writhing in pain and very terrified, is going to get up and try to shuffle towards the back of the cabin. Before we do that, could maybe you have a reason for not, but could we establish whether or not the hostage was my man in a pinstripe suit or not? We're 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 getting to it. We're 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 we'll hit that station. Don't you worry. Okay, just wanted to make sure we don't forget it. Oh, I, I'm I'm well aware. So yeah, he is going. The second goon is going to get up and try to flee down the aisle. He is leaving a large trail of blood, though. Uh, that brings us to Rigo. Can I do a percent? Well, I guess I actually wouldn't know the guy Lucas is looking for. You would not. The goon that I shot, that I got shot, how far... He's running away, right? Or is he still on the ground? Yes. He is attempting to run away. I want to fire a warning shot just straight up in the air, which I know is dumb in a train, but that is something Trigo would do. And just tell him, basically, hey, leave, don't come back, pop. He turns to you, and very almost like, kind of with a gusto you did not think would happen... Um, turns around and walks forward to you and says, the, the Federation will never back down. We are not defeated. We are still lying dormant. We will erupt. And as he starts walking to you, you see that he pulls a knife out and he screams, land for the people, fire for the Union, and charges you. However, that is his full move. Jedi, your turn. Can I see what's happening? I feel like that was kind of behind where I was looking. Do I know? No, because you and you and Trigo were sitting together. This guy went to basically punch Trigo, missed and hit him, so he was right in front of you, and they tried to retreat and then didn't get goaded and turned around and f- faced Jed, uh, sorry, faced you guys again and charged you. Okay, and he's got his knife out and he's mid-charge in my turn. That's correct. Okay. I whip around and I shoot him. 
Roll me a d20. That is 18. Yeah, okay. We don't even need to roll damage, because that is basically going to blow him to pieces. Roll me a perception check, the both of you. 15. Perception is the worst thing for me right now. I rolled a 6. Trigo, you see a two corpses in the middle of the train aisle, and you see a trail of blood that is has left the cabin while this guy was giving his monologue and charging and you were focusing on firing. You did not hear the door open. You did not see a wounded man in a pinstripe suit crawl his way out of the train. So I see that, and because I'm curious, I follow the trail of blood. So I see Trigo leaving, and I want to follow him, but just to see what he's up to. But before that, I feel like I need to do a quick search of the cabin to see where the banker is, see where the suitcase is, and just make sure that I stop something that I wanted to stop. Whatever mystery, robbery I'm part of now, be damned. I want to make sure I stop what I came here to do. Roll me a d20 to see what you see. Uh, any modifiers? You will get a plus two because you know what this person looks like. Okay. Uh, with plus two, that's an 18. He is not on this train. I uh, bolt after Trigo then. We emerge from the train and we hear a gunshot. As you bolt out of the train, you see Frederick holding a smoking gun. Trigo standing on the far end of him. In the middle, you see a single suitcase as the banker that laid in the pinstripe suit lays with a hole in his head. And there you have it. Three strangers at sunup to three guns drawn at high noon. A lull hangs by the tracks after the sound of metal screeching and gunfire ends. The calm is only interrupted by the slight murmur of passengers still cowering under their seats and the rustle of leaves and twigs by stray creatures in the distance. A swallow circles overhead before diving at frightening speed into a lake past the clearing. After a sun splash, it reappears with a spray of mist trailing its feathers, clutching a magic carp. It glides and weaves through the woodlands like a tailor's needle. It finally settles on a manor grove tree and picks at its feathers while pinning its prey with piercing talons. As it begins to ease its concern and begin its feasts, an arbok silently slithers up the tree trunk until its gaze fixes on the back of Swallow's wings.
Oh, well, let me turn the fan off of my AC, uh, AC so we don't pick up the background noise here. Give me one second. I don't know what this handsy dancy fan you have here is. It's a, it's a magical whirring machine that pushes the air real good. <laughs> Hold on, let me turn it off. I want that to stay in the episode. <laughs>